When you're reading the Bible, do you have trouble pronouncing those long names, especially some of those Old Testament names that have like 87 letters in them? How would you like to say those names with ease? Your Bible study time will be more enjoyable, and if you read the Bible out loud in public, you'll never be embarrassed or stumble over tough names again. Hi, I'm Steve Webb, and I'd like to quickly mention my book, Webb's Easy Bible Names Pronunciation Guide. In this book, I've created a simple and easy-to-use guide to correctly say with confidence every name in the Bible. It doesn't matter which translation of the Bible you use either, because I've included every spelling of every name from every English translation. There are over 7,600 entries, and it took over two years to complete. And because you're listening to this podcast today, I want you to have a free sample of the book so that you can see how easy it is to say Bible names. I want to give you the entire first chapter, all the names that begin with the letter A. That's 966 entries, absolutely free, just for you. Go to easybiblenamesguide.com to get your free chapter. That's easybiblenamesguide.com. Don't be afraid of those long Bible names ever again. EasyBibleNamesGuide.com Thanks. Well, hey there. Welcome to a special edition of the LifeSpring Show. These days, my time is such that I rarely produce an episode of this show, so I guess they're all special editions, aren't they? Well, anyway... The reason for today's show is to give my response to the recent decision of the Supreme Court of the United States on same-sex marriage. My primary audience for this show is one specific person, a person that's close to me, whom I love with all my heart. And this person is not gay, but they have asked the question, how am I directly affected by the SCOTUS decision to legalize gay marriage? Why should I care? And if you're listening to this and have the same question, I encourage you to listen all the way through as I attempt to answer this very important question. If at the end of the show you disagree with me, that's okay. We can still agree to disagree and still love each other. As blown up as this topic has been, I still consider it to be a peripheral matter. It is not central to my Christian faith. Believing one way or the other on this topic will not make or break your salvation. We are saved by faith in Christ. That's it. Everything else is peripheral. Of course, there is a lot packed into that statement, but at its core, the very nub of our salvation rests in faith in Him, not in what we believe about homosexuality or any other specific sin. Now, it occurs to me that this episode just might find its way into the ears of a few people who don't know anything about the LifeSpring podcast or me. For those of you who are familiar with the show and or me, do you mind if I spend a minute or two to introduce myself to the new folks? Thanks. My name is Steve Webb, and I'm your host. The very first episode of the LifeSpring podcast was published on November 13, 2004, making it the world's first Christian all-podcast podcast. What that means is that I was the first to release a podcast of Christian content that was produced specifically for this medium. At the time, there were two or three other podcasts that were repurposed church sermons, but LifeSpring was the first podcast that was made just for this form of communication. The target audience back then was both believers and those curious about God, 
and almost immediately I began receiving email from around the world from people who had questions about God. Over the years, the shows I've produced over at LifespringMedia.com have been downloaded millions of times, and this show, The LifeSpring Show, used to be produced on a weekly basis, but it's been years now since that was the case. Life changes happen. These days, I do produce a daily Monday through Friday podcast called the LifeSpring Family Audio Bible, and I produce a weekly podcast of my church's Sunday morning sermon. If you're interested in looking into those in more detail, just go to LifespringMedia.com. I'm not here today to do a commercial for those shows. I could spend a lot more time telling you the history of the show and all the things that have grown out of it, but you can research it online if you want more info. Okay, there's that. Now, who am I? The short answer is that I'm a guy who came into podcasting in the dawning days of the medium because I love technology, I had a background in radio, and I am a committed follower of Jesus. That's not to say that I'm perfect or without my own faults, but my heart's desire is to one day stand before him and hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. I first made the decision to have a relationship with Jesus when I was 16 years old. I'm now almost 61. I wish I could tell you that I have lived a perfect Christian life, but I can't say that. There have been more ups and downs in my walk with God than I care to remember. I'm ashamed of the downs, and some of them have had lifelong consequences despite having received God's forgiveness. But through those times of failure, I have learned that our God is faithful, patient, and loving. He's demonstrated that to me personally, and I guess this is a good place to start the discussion of the topic that is the reason for this podcast today. Where to begin? Well, perhaps here. Despite my own spiritual ups and downs, I have spent a great deal of time studying the Bible. As a matter of fact, I'm currently working on my third time through recording the entire Bible. So, unlike many who study portions of it, I have actually read every word of the Bible at least twice, and I'm not far from completing the third time through. All that to say that when I discuss topics from the Bible, I can usually put the ideas into context. I don't look at a topic or idea in the isolation of just one or two verses. I can see the Bible from the 30,000-foot perspective, as well as the microscopic view, dissecting the language of a single verse. I don't have a formal seminary education, but I think that works in my favor much of the time, because I'm not trained to interpret Scripture through the lens of a particular denomination. I allow Scripture and the Holy Spirit to guide my understanding and I have the works of generations of theologians at my disposal to help me through difficult passages when necessary. At those times where I have difficulty understanding, I'll read from a variety of theological viewpoints and then ask the Holy Spirit to guide my thinking. I guess I also need to lay as a foundation the fact that I consider the Bible to be true. I consider it to be without error. I believe that God's Spirit inspired every single word that the original authors wrote. I believe that God meant it when He said, I am the Lord, I do not change. I believe that absolute truth does exist and that it can be found in the pages of the Bible. I believe that there is only one true God and that He gave us the Bible so that we could know of His love for us and learn how we could discover the way that we can spend eternity with Him. That way is faith in Jesus Christ. 
the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. From a human perspective, I wish there were, but as I said, I believe what the Bible says, and there is no other way revealed in those pages. Jesus is the only way. Now, if that seems harsh, you'll have to take it up with God. But if you look at the price that he paid with his own blood, if you look at the countless ways that he has demonstrated his love to mankind, you'll see that it is not harsh at all. But I don't want to get sidetracked, so I'll move on. So that's the foundation. I've found that in any discussion, you have to start with an understanding of the basis of the logic that is being used. Now, to the question. Let me state it again. How am I directly affected by the SCOTUS decision, the Supreme Court of the United States decision, to legalize gay marriage? Why should I care? First, let me say that God is not an angry old man who sits in heaven looking for ways to spoil our fun. The things we find in Scripture that are labeled as sin are there to help us, to keep us from hurting ourselves or from hurting others or humanity in general. Let's take a quick look at some things that the Bible considers sin. Of course, we should start with the Ten Commandments. What I'm going to read here is an abbreviated form of what is found in the Old Testament in the books of Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. Okay, here we go. An abbreviated form of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. As you can see, some of these relate to our relationship to God, some our relationship to others, and the last is internal. But the Ten Commandments are not all we have to go on in terms of what God calls sin. Let's look at a list of sins from the New Testament book of Galatians, chapter 5. Sexual immorality impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Again, this list can be grouped into the three divisions I talked about a second ago. And there are other places that list other sins, of course, but since homosexuality is what we're discussing today, I'll quickly quote a few verses that deal with that. In Genesis 19, two angels have come to the city of Sodom, to the home of a man named Lot. Sodom is an evil place, and Lot and his family have been singled out as the only ones worthy of saving from the destruction that God is going to bring down on the city because it is so evil. The angels are seen by the inhabitants of the city, and now we'll read verses 5 through 9. They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and say, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. And then moving on to Leviticus chapter 18, we see a list of several sexual sins, most of which are aimed at the heterosexual, but verse 22 says, Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. It is detestable. Leviticus 20 is similar to 18 in that it lists several sexual sins, most of which are heterosexual, but then there is this in verse 13. If a man has sexual relations with a man, as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They are to be put to death. 
their blood will be on their own heads. Let me say here that the punishment called for is not reserved for only the homosexuals. The death penalty is called for seven other times in this chapter in relation to one form of sexual sin or another. And of course, the Old Testament is not the only place where homosexuality is condemned. In the New Testament book of Romans, uh, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, we read, Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Also in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I could go on with more, but you get the message. The teaching is clear, and in my opinion, those who try to say that the Bible doesn't teach that homosexuality is a sin, well, they have to do some pretty crazy verbal calisthenics to make their point. Concerning the marriage part of the equation, God is the one who instituted marriage, and it was between a man and a woman. In the Old Testament book of Genesis, chapter 2, God said that it was not good for the man, Adam, to be alone. So God created a mate for him, a woman, Eve. And in verse 24 it says, That is why a man leaves his mother and father and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Every reference to any marriage in the Bible is between a man and a woman. There is not one instance involving a same-sex marriage. I'm not going to belabor the point. The biblical view of marriage is between a man and a woman. So, to the question at hand, again, how am I directly affected by the SCOTUS decision to legalize gay marriage? Why should I care? Taken from a strictly secular point of view, in other words, taking God out of the equation, I think the argument could be made that it doesn't matter. Whatever two people do in the privacy of their own home doesn't directly affect anyone else. The thing is, we can't take God out of the equation because God is the I am. God is part of human affairs. He cares deeply about what we do, and he is involved in the affairs of man, like it or not. Which brings up the issue of the so-called doctrine of separation of church and state. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I will say that in order to have a proper understanding, you have to know that the United States was originally founded by people who fled to these shores so that they could have religious freedom. Freedom to choose their own religion. Freedom from a country who wanted to dictate what religion they would be. The First Amendment to the Constitution says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And to be complete, I'll read the rest of the amendment. Or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So the 16 words pertaining to religion say this, and I'm paraphrasing, the government cannot establish a religion or keep you from practicing yours. It doesn't say that religion cannot affect government, 
only that government cannot affect religion. There is not a two-way separation, only a one-way. As a matter of fact, this nation's laws were written with Scripture in mind. There was an unmistakable Judeo-Christian influence in all of our laws until very recent history. And because of that, God blessed the United States in terms of material wealth and political strength. As long as the official stance of the nation was aligned with God's law, He blessed us. I'm going to get back to that in a minute, but first, let's look back at how God dealt with His chosen people in the Bible. Before there was an Israel, God told a man named Abram that from him would come a great nation, and this nation would be a blessing to the world. God changed Abram's name to Abraham, and his descendants did indeed become the nation of Israel. And of course, the way that Israel ended up blessing all of the earth was that Jesus came out of Israel. But that's a whole other topic. Anyway, at one point in their history, they had become slaves to the king of Egypt, and they cried to God for delivery. God brought up Moses as a deliverer, and it was to Moses that the Ten Commandments were given. Along with them, God made an agreement with Moses that as long as they followed the law, God would bless the nation and protect them. Over their history, Israel has had good kings and bad kings. The good kings led the people according to God's law. The bad kings abandoned God. When they were ruled by good kings, God blessed them. When they were ruled by bad kings, eventually God would judge them harshly, and the entire nation would be brought into slavery or suffer some other consequences because of the decisions of just one man, their king. Was everyone in the country bad? No. Did everyone suffer, though? Yes. The pattern with the nation of Israel is, first, God brings blessings to them. Second, they forget God and they go their own way. Third, they suffer the consequences of their rebellion. Fourth, they cry out to God for deliverance, at which time they once more follow His law. Fifth, God forgives them. And sixth, the cycle is repeated. It's important to note that there is always at least a few people who remain faithful to God in every generation. But get this, they still suffer the same consequences as the entire nation. This cycle has happened time after time in the history of Israel, which was, again, a nation chosen by God. Now, back to the good old U.S. of A. My last statement was, as long as the official stance of the nation was aligned with God's law, He blessed us. But in 1962, the Supreme Court made the decision to remove prayer from public schools. And in my mind, this is what began the decline of the United States and their abandoning of God. It didn't happen overnight, but I have witnessed in my life the steady erosion of the moral fabric of a nation in decline. I do not think that it is a coincidence that the Supreme Court decision in 1962 to remove prayer eventually came to that same body sanctioning homosexual marriage. Ever since that 1962 Supreme Court decision, the birth rate for teenaged unwed girls has skyrocketed and so has sexually transmitted disease, the divorce rate, SAT scores have gone down, violent crime rates have gone up, reports of child abuse are up, and on and on it goes. All of these consequences do have a direct impact on every person in the United States in the form of increased taxes, not to mention those who are victims of crime, 
and those who are products of a weakened school system, etc. As with a rebellious Israel, there will come a time where God will turn His back on the U.S. and allow us to truly suffer. It's been happening, and the recent decision by SCOTUS to sanction homosexual marriage is just one more movement away from God. Is this the final straw? I have no way of knowing. Does it affect you directly? I believe it does. You've heard the phrase, no man is an island? It's true. And when God brings His judgment on America, every American will suffer. But I think you know that this is not the end of the story. As I was reading my Facebook feed when the decision came down, I saw many happy people who agreed with the decision write the words, Love wins. Well, guess what? On those two words, we can agree. Although those agreeing with the decision are sadly on the wrong side of what will eventually come to our nation. Yes, love wins. Listen carefully, please. In every case of God's judgment against Israel, the reason for the judgment was to bring them back to Himself so that He could bless them. God is always grieved when He has to punish. He gets no joy from that. As a dad, I understand it. When my kids were small, I sometimes had to punish them. That was always the worst part of being a parent. I would much rather laugh and play with my kids than to punish them. As God promised in the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. I believe that the same holds true for us today. God's love wins. God's love has already won. The end has already been written. History just hasn't caught up with it yet. Perhaps I'll talk about that on another episode of the LifeSpring Podcast. Now it's your turn. What say you? Believe me, I know that there is much more to be said on the topic, but I think I hit the high points, even though I know that I left some things out. One thing I didn't talk about, but I do think it's important to touch on, is this. Homosexuality is no different than any other sin in the eyes of God. People exaggerate it for a myriad of reasons. The only reason I singled it out today is because this Supreme Court decision was so consequential. I'd be making the same argument if they made it legal to, and you can fill in any other sin you want right here. Also, let me reiterate that I acknowledge my own sin. I have been through a divorce and I acknowledge my share of culpability in that divorce. I'm not throwing stones in a glass house. I'm just trying to bring understanding of what the Bible says about the consequences of a nation turning from God. Now, I don't expect to be liked by a lot of people out there, but I do hope to be understood and perhaps treated with the same respect that I give to my friends who are homosexual. Yes, I have gay friends. And no, I don't hate them, nor am I afraid of them. I'm not a homophobe. But just as I have friends who overeat, are divorced, gossip, and sometimes drink too much, God will deal with them in His own way, and I will continue to be the person He calls me to be. If you do have a comment, you can email me at steve at lifespringmedia.com. I'll tell you now that hate mail will be filtered out. I've not been hateful to you, and I won't read hate mail. And you can comment on the show notes page at scotus.lifespringmedia.com. Same rules there, too. This is my website, and I don't have to allow hateful comments. You can disagree with me, but you must be respectful. 
I'm on Twitter at underscore Steve Webb underscore. Use the hashtag LifespringMedia. And if necessary, I'll block you. It's not that I don't want to hear dissenting views. It's just that I won't put up with hateful uh, language. Please understand, God's desire is for you to know him because that is what you were made for. The Bible says that God is love. And because he loves you, he will allow you to choose to follow him or reject him. I can tell you that following him is the best thing that I've ever done. My life without him was unhappy and unmanageable. With him at the center, I have an enduring peace despite the difficulties that come into my life. I have experienced his love and I want that for you too. I sincerely do. Thanks for listening. Stay subscribed. You never know when another life spring will come down the pipe. Until then, may God bless you richly. I'm Steve Webb. Bye.